Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast. We are now about two weeks away from the NFL draft in Cleveland. And with the draft coming up, we are going to be speaking with NBC analyst Chris Sims about his quarterback rankings for this upcoming draft and why he believes BYU quarterback Zach Wilson has a brighter NFL future than the projected consensus number one overall pick Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence. And while the draft will be the story of the next couple of weeks, the story of this past week was the retirement of wide receiver Julian Edelman, who leaves the NFL as the second leading receiver in postseason NFL history. 118 catches in the playoffs, 1,442 yards in the playoffs. Some of the most memorable plays that the Patriots and some teams have ever had in the postseason. He had the touchdown pass to Danny Amendola versus Baltimore. He had the go-ahead touchdown versus the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl that the Patriots managed to hold on and win. And of course, he had the catch in the Super Bowl against the Atlanta Falcons that helped him win Super Bowl MVP and etch his place into NFL history and the hearts and minds of Boston sports fans as somebody who typified the toughness of that very city, somebody who helped establish the baseline for what it's like to be a slot receiver in today's NFL game where the game has shifted to more of a reliance and a dependency on the slot receiver in the game. But here's how I will think of Julian Edelman. For years, Tom Brady hosted the Best Buddies event in Boston. And there were a bunch of occasions where I'd go up there to help support the cause, lend my support to the cause. And Tom always ran it. And Tom was incredible with the way he interacted with everybody. And then a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, in the last year that they held the event before the pandemic shut down the world, Tom was unavailable to do it. And Julian Edelman stepped in and basically ran that weekend and raised awareness and raised funds for that cause in a way that Tom Brady did, which spoke to a couple of things. It spoke to his character. It spoke to his heart, which we've seen on display. And it spoke to his standing within that city that they could go from Tom Brady to Julian Edelman and not miss much, if anything, by handing off to the great wide receiver who set the marks that he did in the postseason. Julian Edelman was an incredible player. And you saw the words that Bill Belichick said about him as a player, called him the quote unquote ultimate competitor. And when you've got a coach like Bill Belichick calling you the ultimate competitor and you walk away with those type of records, that tells you what a career it was for Julian Edelman. And while the debate goes on, in my mind, he is a Hall of Famer because when I was a voter for the Pro Football Hall of Fame for about five or six years, the one question that always stayed with me was, can you write the history of the game without this player? So I ask you, the listener, can we write the history of this game without Julian Edelman, without his influence on the slot receiver position, without his performance in the postseason, without the plays he made for the best dynasty that the NFL has ever seen? And I would argue no. And therefore, Julian Edelman, to me, deserves entry in to Canton, Ohio, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame 
We'll leave that to the voters to decide. To me, an easy decision. All right, before we get into today's episode with NBC analyst Chris Sims, I have a few things I need to tell you. First off, the NFL Draft is right around the corner, and ESPN's first draft podcast, hosted by draft experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Phil Yates, have all the information you need to feel prepared when your team makes its pick. Make sure you download and subscribe to First Draft wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't miss Football Americas, the new soccer debate show where Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Salazar cover the U.S. and Mexican national teams throughout the season. Stream new episodes every Monday and Thursday only on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. And now for the man who grew up in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, who was the USA Today Offensive High School Player of the Year in 1998 before he went on to play college football at the University of Texas, where some thought he would be one of the top players selected in the draft, went on to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers starting in 2003 through 2007, Tennessee Titans, Denver Broncos, before finishing his career with the Titans, coaching with the New England Patriots for 2012, before transitioning to a successful career in the media at NBC Sports as an analyst, my colleague, my friend, Chris Sims. Hello, Chris. Hey, hey. How you doing? I'm doing good, buddy. How are you, man? Thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Everything going right with you? Yeah, everything's good. Can't complain. Um, Bit- just crack, cracking away at the draft, doing all that stuff. That's really my main concern in life right now. You like this time of the year or you don't like this time of the year? I, I do. I like this time of the year. It's a little like, you know, it's a little hectic. Would I like it a little less hectic and not Adam asking me about every guy in the world? Sure, but... But it's still, it's good. It's good. And that's not an easy thing, right? You're being asked about every guy. And in a way, you have to put your reputation and credibility on the line with each of these picks, correct? No doubt about it. That's what I'm doing, you know? So, yeah, my, you know, my evaluation process, my ability to evaluate, it's all on the line with this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I take pride in it. I'm going to work at it. Now, the interesting part is working at it, taking pride in it, you should take pride in it. Because if we go back to 2000. And 17, you call Patrick Mahomes the most special quarterback in the draft at a time when everyone was touting Mitchell Trubisky, Deshaun Watson. You nailed Patrick Mahomes. If we go to 2018, I believe your top-rated quarterbacks were Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen ahead of Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. Your reputation stayed intact there. You had Justin Herbert over Tua last year. Reputation stays intact there, Chris. And this year, this year, you have Zach Wilson ahead of Trevor Lawrence. What do we what do we yes. say about that? Well, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot to say about that. The first thing I'll go with that, right? You know, whenever you do this type of stuff, people just go, they make it about the negative aspect of it right away. Oh, well, you don't like Trevor Lawrence. What a jerk you are. How could you not like him? No. That, that's the first thing. It's not an indictment on Trevor Lawrence. He's worthy of being the number one pick. I've said that for people who would listen to my podcast and my evaluations and all of that. He's a really damn good football player. I'd love for him to be the quarterback of my football team. I just like Zach Wilson more. I, I look at Zach Wilson and I think his high-end talent is greater than Trevor Lawrence. And I think he's got room to grow as a football player altogether. But you know, I think, you know, baseline was Zach Wilson. And again, I think the other thing that bothers me sometimes is people think 
oh, you're just doing this to be a shock jock or, you know, get clicks or attention. I know. And back to your point to where we started this out, where I want to go in. I I, I have asked, I want to work maybe in a front office in the NFL one day. I want to be right on TV and doing my job. I don't want just clicks. That's not going to get me anything. You know, I did Kyler Murray and Joe Burrow as the number one quarterbacks the two years before that. I just call it like I see it, whether it's popular or unpopular. And Zach Wilson, when I just look at him, Shefty, I just go, man, I see some Rodgers and Mahomes-like qualities in his game and a really explosive arm, the ability like Rodgers and Mahomes to throw the ball a million different ways. It doesn't matter. The feet don't need to be perfect to make big-time throws. And then, of course, he's very athletic to move around the pocket and get outside of the pocket. So that is ultimately what led me to, you know, putting Zach Wilson in front of Trevor Lawrence. But having said all that, I still think Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know that, but I like Zach Wilson more. Right. You prefer him. So if you were a front office member, like you're talking about, you would take Zach Wilson at number one in this draft over Trevor Lawrence. I would. Yeah. I think he fits, you know, more, more offenses all together. I think he's more NFL pro ready right now, as we sit here, you know, as far as going through reads and the amount of NFL schematical type plays that I saw maybe compared to what he ran as to what Trevor Lawrence did in Clemson. Yeah. I think more translates to the NFL in Zach Wilson's case than Trevor uh, Lawrence. Hmm. And then, You know, the other aspect of that is just like I said, and then when you get back into it, you know, I just go, wait, decision making really good, you know, ability to go through reads and process information. Wow. Really good. Okay. When guys are wide open, bam, hits the target every time. All right. Guys are open and the pocket's not good. Oh, doesn't need a lot of room. Still hits the target. Bam. That's awesome. And then what I'm really big into Adam with evaluating quarterbacks, because this is life in the NFL, especially when you're a top 10 pick, when there's nothing there, all right, the protection's not that great and nobody's open. What are you going to do? And to me, that's where the special ones are special, like Rodgers, Mahomes, Josh Allen in our game right now, where, oh, hey, nobody's open and we didn't protect that well. Well, I'll dance around and move. And don't worry, guys, you keep working. And then I'll make a 30-yard laser throw, and hey, first down, even though it was a bad play call that nobody executed, look at that. We changed field position and made a big play. And that, to me, is like the element Zach Wilson's going to be able to bring to the New York Jets eventually. We have a mutual friend who is not a head coach in the NFL right now who feels the exact same way you do. It's not the first time that I've heard somebody say they prefer Zach Wilson over Trevor Lawrence. And so as unique as your opinion is, and it's not espoused by many people, I've actually heard it before. So it's not that much on an island. There are other people who feel the same way about Zach Wilson. I get stopped all the time and I'm like, what are the Jets getting in Zach Wilson? Now, I've never studied Zach Wilson the way that you've studied Zach Wilson, but I can tell you that people I respect, like yourself, like a mutual friend who's not a head coach, they think Zach Wilson's future is limitless. And so now we're going to find out if you get to put this on your wall along with the other quarterback (laughs) trophies that you have to further bolster your front office credentials, Chris. That would be pretty cool. That's what I'm hoping for. And, and listen, you're one of the, like, I love hearing that out of your mouth that, you know, you got somebody you respect, you know, that's an ex coach or, you know, not in it right now. 
that does that holds water with me, you know, and even things you say on TV at times. But like just to, to, to emphasize that point, you know, yeah, I make these evaluations. I put myself out of island when we do come up with these quarterback rankings and stuff. As you know, a lot of the coaches and people in the NFL haven't really dove into the full draft process yet. They only know kind of at a topical level of what everybody is. And I have got some positive feedback with that. That makes me feel good from people that I really trust and respect where they're like, hey, you know, way to go out on a limb with the Zach Wilson. I see it the same way. You know, good for you. Keep being you. Those type of things uh, do make me feel good and, of course, make you feel a little bit more confident in your evaluation and all that. Is there another quarterback in this draft class who might not be as hyped as some of these other guys that we're talking about that has the Chris Sims stamp of approval? Definitely. You know, we know all the ones that get all the attention, right? I mean, it's Wilson, Lawrence, you know, uh, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. Yes. But the guy to me that I believe is a first round talent at the quarterback position is Kellen Mond from Texas A&M. That is one that I will not back down from. I, I see a lot of, I don't know what there's not to like about him, Adam. That's where I'd really get into it. You know, good size, elite athlete, and then elite arm, elite. I mean, elite from all aspects too, not just like power and can throw it through a wall, but you know, can do all the things I talked about with Zach Wilson too, as far as doesn't need a lot of room in the pocket, you know, did a lot of transferable NFL type plays that'll work in the NFL. You see that he was on a team that was much lesser than, you know, a lot of the times in the SEC and man, he's been playing NFL football for the last three years. And when I say that, I mean like not great protection and having to throw the ball into really tight windows to me, he's the guy that I know it sounds like he's not going in the first round, but I think he's a first round talent and somebody's going to get a gem there late in the first, early second, wherever and he ends up falling. Why is he not talked about more often with greater respect and with higher credentials the way that you're talking about him now? I, I don't know. You know, again, I've had some people reach out to me. I know he's on, you know, people's radars. I, it, it's one of the fascinating things about the draft, Adam. I, I, I don't understand it. You know, I, I really don't. You know, it just, it, it's sometimes it's the hype of the player yeah. and what goes into it. And I don't get it. You know, there, there's so many examples. I mean, listen, you heard what I, I – Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the draft. Why, why did we have to wait to number 10? I don't understand that, how that happened. You know, I, I don't get it some years. Some years are just not the perception or the publicity behind the player to push it along into that top-tier conversation. And I, I look at him and go, wait, the talent's real? The film is real when you evaluate him? Yeah. The results and stats and production for all the people that like all that type of stuff, wins, touchdowns, lack of interceptions is all there. And he's a lot better than a lot of first-round quarterbacks I've seen drafted over the last five, six, seven, eight years. And I, I don't get it. I don't have an answer for you there. So when you say people are reaching out to you, are teams seeking out your opinion, coaches, front office members? Who's reaching out? To, not by name, but who's yeah, reaching yeah, out right. to you? Yeah, I get, you know, I get the reaching out of, hey, I saw your list. I love some of the things you said, or I listened to the podcast, but I do. I have a, I have a number of teams who talk ball with me, 
where, you know, I text with a personnel guy or an offensive coach and we discuss opinions and just, you know, yeah. what did you like? What specifically was it about this player? Oh, I like this little nuance about his game. So yes, I have a lot of dialogue with, with, you know, what I would say like four to five people in the NFL where I just talk ball. I'm not trying to squeeze information out of them. I think they know that. I think they're taking a little from me. I'm taking a little from them. And we're really just friends who talk football. And that's how it works. Exactly. That's right. how it works with analysis. That's how it works with information. That's how it works with relationships. That's how it works with life, Chris, right? No doubt about that. You know, and I know nobody can balance that better than you. I mean, that's that's what I that's what I always tell people about you. I always I'm like, wait, you don't think Schefter is on this story and doesn't know everything? I go, Schefter probably knows way more than he's letting on, but he can't release it or tell people because it's been told in private or he doesn't want to burn somebody. Uh so, yes, it is part of our business, no doubt about it. And I think if I was somebody that was always trying to extract information and always be like, hey, who's your top quarterback or who's your top running back or, you know, what guy do you think is the best in free agency? I don't think some of those friends would talk to me. They would go, wait, he's just using me so he could talk on TV. And and that's not the case. I'm, ho- I'm hopefully we're using each other to, yeah. to learn more and more football. But I'm not calling them and asking who do you got at the top of your board? We're just no. Talking. I know you're not. I we're know. talking. We're sharing ideas. We're conversing. And you know what? In all honesty, I've done this now for over thirty years. So a lot of these relationships have gone on for quite some time. And right. So, and in fact, that brings me to a certain point. Last week, I was doing a podcast with Matt Mayoko, who covers the 49ers for the Athletic, and we were talking, and somehow. He asked me about Kyle, Kyle Shanahan, and you. And so that got me thinking. I said, do you know, Matt, and I don't know if you remember this. I'm curious to see. I had dinner with Kyle and Chris at the University of Texas on a Friday night. Do you remember this? Yes. Okay, so I said to him, I said, I even wrote an article about it. I said, <laughs> I said, if you could find the article, I would be grateful. And so lo and behold... Earlier this week, I get an email from Matt Mayoko, dated April 8th, 2001, from the Denver Post. Headline, Sims and Kyle Shanahan are connected by friendship and famous fathers, rising sons. And there's the article that I wrote. I'm going to read you the lead. Let's see if it rings any bells to you, okay? Sure. They work together, play together, and on this night, like most every night, dine together. With the eyes of Texas upon them. While others wait for a table inside Sullivan's, a crowded Austin Steakhouse, they do not. Last week, on the night before the last day of spring football, these college buddies are escorted to the restaurant's lone open booth, a table befitting Austin's power, which is, in a way, what they are. Texas quarterback Chris Sims, son of former Giants star and current CBS lead NFL analyst Bill Sims, is the top player on one of the country's top teams, expected by many throughout the NFL to be the first player drafted after he leaves the Longhorns. Ooh. Texas wide receiver Kyle Shanahan, son of Broncos coach Mike Shanahan, is expected to be the school's number three receiver this season while preparing to work in the same field as his father. It is different in Denver, but in Austin, Sims' name means more than Shanahan's. And quote, he's like, <laughs> he's like John Elway here, Kyle Shanahan says, motioning to his right towards Sims. And then you said, I don't know about that. But I was thinking about that. And here's the whole article. 
And I said to myself, well, back in the day, I wasn't a bad writer. I wasn't no, a bad you writer. But, but that dinner was almost 20 years ago to the day, Chris, 20 years ago. Think about how far you've come since then, going from this player, many thought would be one of the top picks in the draft, right. to being the great analyst that you are for NBC Sports now. Yeah. It, quite it, quite it, a journey, right? A crazy journey. I mean, I've known you for a long time. Of course, Kyle, my great relation. I can still remember that night. I want to go, what the hell happened my junior and senior year to where I fell off that first pick <laughs> of the draft type conversation? So I what did what happen? Happened. What happened? I, I did. You know, so that was, let's see, that was right before our junior year. I had a really good season. I mean, on the cusp of maybe winning the Heisman, and you might remember this. The Big 12 championship game, we played the Colorado Buffaloes with a chance to hopefully go play the Miami Hurricanes in the national championship game that year. And I threw three interceptions in the first half. It was my fault. I mean, we lost the game because of me. There's no other way around it. And that was the end of, wait, Chris Sims might leave early and go be a top 10 pick and all that. And then really, from that point on, I got labeled as like, can't win the big game because we couldn't beat Oklahoma. Wow. And now I lost that. Wow. And that was that was the label that I got. And, you know, fair or not, hey, that was just the reality of the situation. And I had to fight through that. And, of course, yeah, I didn't get drafted where I wanted. Uh, but, man, that, that's a blast from the past. And also, like, really embarrassing that some, like, junior in college can just walk into a restaurant, a big-time restaurant, <laughs> and just get a table. I don't know. There's something not right about that. <laughs> and I can tell you this. It wasn't any juice that I had because at the time, I'm a lowly reporter for the Denver Post, so it wasn't me. And when I read the article, Chris, I read through. I said, I wanted to see if I got to the bottom of one thing because I remember writing this article, spending the night with you guys, and I had known Kyle for a long time, and that was, I think, the first time I ever actually met you in person. But I remember right. reading the article and going, is there any mention here of the matching tattoos? <laughs> so, and, and to my embarrassment, there wasn't. So I didn't get a chance to ask you about the matching tattoo that you have with Kyle Shanahan then. So I'm going to ask you about it now. What's the backstory with the matching tattoo you have with Kyle Shanahan? Great. All right, good. First off, you're not wrong. You weren't a bad journalist because we didn't have the tattoo at that point yet. So, <laughs> oh, so I feel, honestly, that now I've overcome my label, just like you were unable to overcome your label in the big game. Good, 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 good. So you're good there. And, you know, th th it's the other thing about it. And I'll get to the story. But like, you know, I, I've been around the NFL my whole life. And no matter when I talk football, everybody thinks I just got it from Kyle Shanahan. You know, he must have been talking to Kyle. And I want to be like, what? I've known people in this league way before I knew Kyle, you know, let alone hey, I know you. Hey, you know what? For years I heard Mike Shanahan gives him everything. When Mike right. gave me almost nothing and I gave him, I gave him ideas. <laughs> it's, you can't get away from it once that label starts. And, and I don't care. But I do feel bad for Kyle because every time Kyle talks or he's got to answer questions about something I said, and I do feel bad for him from that aspect. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful 
for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. But getting back to the tattoo. Yes, all right. please. Here's the story. So Kyle was a, uh, uh, got there a little, a year after I got there. He had been at the University of Duke. It was at Duke. He had, you know, played football there and transferred. I was there already for, I guess, six, seven months. And we had a little clique of friends where it was like me and three other guys were like freshmen. And we were like the first freshmen on campus together. We got there early for summer workouts, right? And we, of course, since we were freshmen together, we hung out all the time. And it became our little group of friends. So then here comes crazy Kyle Shanahan. He got involved in the group, of course, because him and me naturally could just talk right away. Football, our dad's careers, all that. We hit it off and it became the group of just five guys. Like we did everything together. Well, not long after that, there was a movie that came out called The Wood. The Wood was a movie about four best friends who were like inseparable. Well, the upperclassmen started calling us the wood. Hey, there goes the wood. What's the wood doing tonight? You know, where's the wood going to be at? And all that. So what's stuck? So me being the knucklehead I am, and of course, it was a very important time in my life. And I'm a very loyal friend that way. And I just went, man, I kind of always wanted to get a tattoo. And we had kind of spitballed about it as a group. I went one day, just totally out of nowhere, and just went and did it. Got a big W on the side of my leg with everybody's initials around it and kind of started off. And I think Kyle was like, oh, no, he got a tattoo. That means I'm probably going to have the pressure and get a tattoo, too. So W for the wood? W for the wood with everybody's initial around it. Oh, my God. Who are are the other guys? Who are the other guys' initials you have? So you'll know Bo Scape. Yeah, the tight end from Denver. Right, right. So Bo, Bo's still a great friend. Of course, is still talks to Kyle and I all the time. Yeah, we yeah. had Rod Babers. Rod Babers, the defensive back? Yep, played for the Giants and the Lions for a real short NFL career. Uh, was my, my like, uh, roommate in college there. And then we had Montrell Flowers, who was a receiver, uh, who could really fly and all of that. And, yeah, I mean, Bo and Kyle are by far the ones I talk to the most still. Montrell is a little bit here and there and Rod Babers has fallen off the radar. I haven't talked to him in years. So I got, you know, maybe a wasted initial down there, but that's, that's where (laughs) the story comes from. Okay. And I know it doesn't, Kyle got a real small one just to say he got it. Mine's about that big. It's a significant look on the side of my leg down here. And, and never got it removed or washed out or whatever you do with tattoos being that I don't have any, I'm not cool enough to have one. Nope. I'm going, I'm going strong with it. I mean, I listen, I look at it as a great memory of my life, a great relationship I had with great friends. And of course I'm still friends with, you know, like I said, almost all of them, 
but yeah, I, I look at it as more of like a mark in the history of my life to where I don't want to forget, you know, that time period. I would imagine the Rob Babers tattoo. That's like getting your uh, an ex-girlfriend's tattoo on you. You don't you break up with her, you don't speak to her, and you still got her tattoo of her initials on your backside or whatever it may be, right? That that's who Rob Babers is these days. It is a little bit. Like he didn't, you know, it's not like we had a bad ending or he like he cheated on me or something like that, you know. But yes, he's fallen off the radar on really on all of us. Uh, but he was a special friend at the time. I got a longhorn tattoo. I got my wife and my kids' initials on here. Wow. So I didn't let that be my only thing I have on my body altogether. Now, if we could ever work to get you a front office job, would you ever consider getting the AS initials on your some sort of body part of yours? It depends how much, you know, weight you can pull. <laughs> how much weight can you pull to get me that job? If, well, if you get well, me like on that first shot, I might get the whole picture of your face on my back or something like that. Yeah, my wife wouldn't even <laughs> consider doing that, but you might if we could land you in front office. That'd be unbelievable. I, I, and I got to tell you something. I remember hearing about the matching, the matching tattoos afterwards and thinking to myself, I can't believe I had dinner with these guys. We had this great time. I heard the story. I'm like, I missed the lead to the story. All these years it bothered me. And now I feel cleansed. I feel like, okay, wow. That, thank You're God. Good. Now, now back to that front office position. If a team came along to you now, tomorrow, you'd leave NBC. You'd leave the broadcasting world. You'd build, you would leave what this little empire that you've built up to go become a general manager or whatever it may be. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't just leave and go like, oh, gosh, I got offered. Here you go. See you later. No, this is something that I look at more down the road type of thing. I got out of New England and coaching because I wanted to see my kids grow up. Mm -hmm. You know, I had played. And as you know, a coaching career is very hard on the family. Sorry. I had had some money and flexibility because I did play in the league. So it wasn't a necessity for me to, like, have to coach and do all that stuff. and. You know, of course, I started in New England, which, as you can imagine, is the roughest place to start. And I went through, you know, really like the first year. And I was just like, man, this is rough. I mean, I, I you know, was only seeing my kids maybe one day a week that was bothering me. And then ultimately, this is what had happened, Adam. I had a team call me about possibly being a quarterback coach. And I came home one night and told my wife and she was like, what? We're going to move again. And I was like, well, if I take this job and that kind of started this like, wait, do I really want to do this? So it would be something down the road when they're in college. I would think about it, certainly. But I'm not just going to leave this little niche that I've created here. I like what I'm doing and I like NBC and not going to give that up for anything. It has to be the really the right situation and being paired with the right people to make me feel comfortable about it. So you'll just keep piling up all the quarterback hits, stacking them, stacking them one on top of another. And then when somebody wants to interview, you just present them your actual track record. Here's, here's what I've been doing the last 10, 15, 20 years. And then you move into the office job without my help. Spare yourself an AS tattoo. And there you go. You're <laughs> off, you're off and running. You get to do whatever the hell you want running in front office and get to pick Zach Wilson for your football team, right? Well, that would be great. I mean, that is something that I, I really that does intrigue me. And I, you know, as you know, I grew up in the NFL. I love the NFL. Uh, all my relationships are, you know, in the NFL world. And it's hard to replace when you're in that world. You know, just the 
I guess the, the fun of life, you know, the, the challenges of life, everything that that league brings to you, the characters you work with in an NFL organization, the pressure you're put under to perform, you're all in it together. It's a special atmosphere that I certainly do miss, but, uh, but I'm happy. And, but, but yeah, it is something that one day uh, I do think that I would seriously approach and, and, and definitely consider. Give me one thing you learned from Bill Belichick and Tom Brady during your one season of coaching in New England. Whoa, just like I think selfless machine machine is what I would take from Brady. Just like just this unbelievable way of, you know, hey, I'm Tom Brady. I'm coming into the office. It does, you don't have to do anything special for him. It's a workman's like attitude. He's going to do what he has to do. You know, he's got this great blend of – a great blend of, yeah, he can MF the old lineman and guys on the offense and say, let's go and what the hell are we doing out here today? We got to be better. But also, like, hey, you can come talk to me and we can be best buddies anytime. I mean, that to me is – Brady's amazing that way. He just got the ultimate quarterback attitude to make a team work. And I think that's what I really – jumped out to me about my time with him. I, I love being around Brady. Belichick, you know, I think it's just the attention to detail on everything. And then the constant, like, wait, is there a more efficient way we could do this? So it's always trying to find a more detailed, more efficient way on everything. And I think the thing I always took away from him more than anything was like, there was a sign by my desk that said, we're not collecting players we're building a team. And that to me always like said everything about New England. They're not going to just take the best player available or sign this guy because the fans want them. There's a process in which they believe how the team has to be built and the value of, wait, do we need this position as compared to the value of the player and all of that that goes into what's made them so great for so long. And I think that's what kind of jumps out to me more than anything. Of all the people I've ever dealt with in the NFL, front office members, coaches, players, agents, whoever it may be, there's nobody I've ever spoken to who knew more about more things than Bill Belichick. It's it's I, I always tell people, Adam, he's the smartest human I've ever been around. And I didn't even have that much interaction with him. But just even again, where it's like the things I heard, oh, he said this in this meeting today or. He had this conversation with this coach and you go, well, I didn't think of that. That's really smart. Like Belichick, if he worked on Wall Street, would be the wolf of Wall Street. He'd be the, the he'd be the head of J.P. Morgan or one of the again, he's just a brilliant man. And like, I think, you know, what I know is he never thinks he knows it all. He's always trying to right. learn more and more. And that's what makes him special. It goes into the, the details, always trying to find a better way to do things. He's never like satisfied in that department and still works harder than everybody else. Even after a that, oh, that, that is, that is to me, one of the, what I would say the dirty little secrets of the NFL, where it's just like, Hey, we know new England's special, but the one thing that doesn't get talked about with them is I, I always say this is I believe their coaches outcompete other coaches and other coaching staffs, you know, whether that's in the season with how hard they work or even, like today, what's today's date? April 13th. They're going to be grinding away like it's like the middle of the season and it's the most important day of the year. That's the way they are. You know, it's Mother's Day, Adam. 
We're going into Mother's Day and we're having like a, a Friday meeting. He wants to have a meeting on Sunday. Somebody like reluctantly raises their hand to remind him to go, you know, Sunday's Mother's Day. He had no idea because it Correct. was just like, wait, we got a, we got a job. I got to do something. And he was like, oh, oh, is it? Okay. All right. All right. Forget it. I'll see you guys here early on Monday morning. He didn't know because he's so fixated on what he's got to do. Now, let me ask you a question, and I'll give you an example of this. If you yeah. won a game, uh, you won a playoff spot, you won a first-round bye on a Sunday night game on the final Sunday night game of the season and had a bye for the next week, game ended late, would you sleep in the next morning? Of course. Just, just, okay. So there was a time, it had to be, I'm guessing off the top of my head, five years ago, six years ago, whatever it was, and the Patriots played on a Sunday night, the last Sunday night game of the year. So we could probably look up when it was. And they won the game and they clinched a first round bye. And I remember the next morning, my phone's ringing at 530. And it was Bill Belichick on the way into the office at 530 in the morning. And I thought to myself, you just put away the division, the first round bye. It's okay to sleep until 637. He was already on the way into the office at 5, 530 in the morning, whatever it was. And I thought to myself, that's unbelievable. That's it, unbelievable. It is. It is. It's and just, that's it, him. There's, that's him. It just speaks to them. It speaks to the whole organization, the way they are. You know, Bill's, Bill's one of those guys, like, forget, you know, the 2021 draft. He's probably got a good feel for the 2022 draft already and gone in deep on those guys. But, yes, it's just there's never a moment of rest or never of a, like, hey, let me pat myself on the back. We did a good doesn't job. Happen. It doesn't, doesn't happen. happen up in New England. It's It's – it's all about, you know, I'm going to forget how I used to phrase this. Oh, internal motivation. They are driven by internal motivation as far as they compete with themselves and we hold ourselves to a standard every day. And I think a lot of teams in football, external motivation is what like gets them ready. So, oh, I hate this team. I hate this coach. And that's why you hit peaks and valleys with some of these teams where New England, no, they just hold themselves to a really high standard, and that's what makes them awesome. When your father played quarterback for the Giants, did you have or do you remember any interaction that you had back then with Bill Belichick as a little boy, or is that – No, I do. Something? Definitely, no. I remember I remember plenty of interactions with him. Not that he was, like, you know, playing with me on the practice field or anything like that, but, you know, growing – first off, I was very aware of football at a very young age. And I would say around five years old, you know, Saturday practices and stuff like that. Yeah. Dad used to bring me to Giant right. Stadium all the time. So I was around a good amount. And he was always really friendly to me and nice to me. And, you know, it was funny. I was getting ready to play him in a regular season game in 2005 as a starting quarterback for the Bucks. We were going up to New England. And he was sitting right behind me watching me warm up. And I always thought, like, I was like, I wonder how he's going to react to me. Does he remember me as a little kid or anything like that? And, you know, I finally made eye contact with him. And he, he came right over to me. And he's just like, man, it's been a long time. I haven't seen you since you were a little boy and all that. It just, it was crazy. And, yeah, I mean, uh, the thing that I was around him at a young age, the greatest coach in the history of football, and I don't even think it's close, and Bill Belichick, man, he, he's special to me. Chris, you, you've done an unbelievable job today. You've been special to have on the podcast. But before I let you go, I do have to ask you, is it easier to sit and have a conversation with me or with Mike Florio? Oh, <laughs> it's not even close. <laughs> I mean, you're way easier. 
you're a nicer guy. You're smarter. You know more things that are going on in the NFL. You don't have weird conspiracy theories that I got to sit there and roll my eyes and go, you're crazy for thinking that. So that's not even close, Adam Schefter, any day of the week. I'm a plain, simple guy with no beef with anybody, Chris. No beef with anybody. <laughs> well, that's not Mike Florio. I don't think Mike's I don't think Mike's happy unless he's got beef with like at least multiple people going at the same time. Yeah, I got people beefing with me, but I ain't beefing with anybody. I appreciate taking the time. Thank you very much. We'll be watching Zach Wilson as he ascends to great heights in New York, pleasing Jet fans. We'll be on the lookout for Kellen Mond, and we will be on the lookout for a front office job for you in the near future. Thanks, Adam. You're the man. I appreciate you having me on, buddy. Thank you, Chris. You're the best. And so there is my friend, my colleague, Chris Sims, who I've now known for over 20 years this week from the time we got to have that dinner at Sullivan Steakhouse in Austin, Texas with Kyle Shanahan. Amazing to think how time goes by and that dinner stays with me, as will the events of last week. Last Tuesday night, got a call from some friends. They had arranged for me to fly to, attend, and stay at the Masters in Augusta, Georgia. Now, I had never been to the Masters in Augusta, Georgia, but they called me up and told me they had arranged everything. And as difficult as it was for me to leave, and I had not left my home for a single night since the pandemic began, I agreed. And then they told me the punchline. Oh, did we say that you're not allowed to bring your phone with you into the golf course? And I was like, what? I'm not allowed to bring my phone with me? No. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I can say it now. I did not have my phone with me. I literally left it at the home that they rented. Left the house nine in the morning, got back about 530 or so, would pick up the phone and squint my eyes and be like, what did I miss? 26 text messages, not bad. 14 calls, not horrible. Okay. Had no phone for three days. Got to check off a bucket list item. Go to the master's. And yet, here are a couple of things that I will most remember about stepping into what is the adult version of Disney World, because it is everything that people see, where the azaleas are blooming and the grounds are beautiful. And as I told Marty Smith on his podcast down there, where we did it from the media center, my wife has got some field turf on the side of our house for our five dogs to go to the bathroom. And that field turf is just perfectly maintained. Well, when you walk into Augusta National and you see the golf course at the Masters, it looks like the entire thing is field turf. Okay. My wife would be envious. I could not believe how beautiful it was. It was like stepping into a painting. That's what it's like. And you're walking around and because of the lack of attendance, you're just walking up to the tee box and there is Bryson DeChambeau. And there is Justin Rose, and there is Hideki Matsuyama, and there are all the people that I watch on TV every weekend. But here's the other thing that I'll always remember about the trip, and it stayed with me, and it was incredibly powerful, but you need to pass COVID tests every day before you go to the Masters. There's a rapid test you have to take, and there's a PCR test that you have to pass before you go for the first time. So I got my rapid done when I got down there, but the PCR was not as easy to get. And so they took me to a side entrance at the Masters where there were these two young men, Tristan 
blonde-headed guy from Macon, Georgia, 23, who is starting to become a dentist. And I remember that. And I think the other gentleman's name was Trayvon. I think it might have been Trevor, but I think he said Trayvon. And he had a blue plastic apron on because he was taking COVID tests, PCR tests of the patrons who were showing up without one. And I started to talking to Trayvon as we were waiting my test results. He gave me the thing to stick up my nose, swish it around, other nostril. He took it away. He turned it in. He came back out and I was talking to him. Trevor was 21 years old. He had moved to Georgia from Fayetteville, Arkansas, because he had seen some of his friends get killed there and he needed to get out of there, he felt. So he moved to Georgia. And three weeks earlier, he and his now wife had a baby girl. And he showed me the pictures of this girl and she was adorable. She was really, really cute. And now he was working at the master's taking COVID tests, PCR tests of people who hadn't taken them before he enlisted in the service to serve our country and to send payments home to his wife and newborn daughter and newborn daughter. And I don't know what about it. It's very American, but that just stayed with me. I was thinking if I had to leave my daughter when she was three weeks old to go serve in the military, I would have been heartbroken at the thought of leaving her for anything. And this gentleman, this young man who was an impressive guy, who looked like Derek Rose, that's what he looked like to me. I love this kid. He's leaving his daughter and wife behind uh, to serve our country and to help make money for them. And he's taking COVID tests to help support them. And I think what stayed with me again is that this was the first night in well over a year since the pandemic began that I was away from my house. So it was really one of the rare few instances where you have interaction with other people. And so when you start talking to them, you're drawn to them. You enjoy listening to them. It had been so long since I had talked to and listened to somebody in person. And his story stayed with me. It stayed with me all those days. And yeah, it was great to go into the masters and see some of the people I did. Matthew Hasselbeck was there. I hadn't seen him in over a year. He was there with Mitchell Trubisky and Chase Daniel and Steve Stenstrom, the former quarterback, NFL quarterback. The four of them came together. And I met Trevor Lawrence and his now wife who were there on Thursday, two days before they got married to attend the Masters, which blew me away. And Ryan Fitzpatrick was there and I got to have an unbelievable lunch with him and his father. But Trayvon, the guy that I met that took my PCR test as I was walking into Augusta National for the first time, is the man that I'll remember and think about for a long time to come on my very first trip to the Masters, which was an honor to get to do and everything that you'd ever hope it would be. So I want to wish him good luck. And if, by the way, if somehow somebody knows that guy and can get me information about him and put me in contact with him, anybody that listens here, he was with Tristan, the guy who's becoming a dentist from Macon, Georgia. This gentleman was from Fayetteville, 21. I'd like to get into contact with that guy again, if I could. Anyway, I want to thank Chris Sims, the NBC analyst, for taking time to share his quarterback insights with us. He's been spot on in recent years, and it'll be a lot of fun to track where he comes out on this year's quarterback class as well. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting this podcast together. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week 
as we'll be that much closer to the 2021 NFL Draft when dreams come true and franchises are changed. We look forward to being back in this spot next week. And until then, be well and stay safe.